And so in a perfect world, I think we would talk about that really openly and honestly. I'm not sure in the world we are in, that's the best advice to give. And unfortunately, you know, we had Hillary Clinton here suggest that several years ago that women not put pictures of their kids up at their desk because it diminishes our voice of authority at work. Well, I'm not sure that I'm willing to take out the pictures of my kids from my office, but it is advice that is realistic and practical and awfully unfortunate. Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. I'm Ferina Hefti, and I believe that absolutely no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, amazing people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, often male, middle-class people leading our organisations. I want us to change this together. In fact, I hope that many of you listening to this podcast right now will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about supporting parents to get to senior leadership roles through equal career progression. Today, I'm talking to Ashley Quinto Powell about how to sell yourself. We talk about selling yourself when you feel inside that you're not really fantastic, but doing it anyways. And we talk about practical strategies to sell yourself and create that network when you're very busy with young children. Enjoy the conversation. A very warm welcome, Ashley, to the podcast. Let's start with you introducing who you are, what you do for work, and who is in your family. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm Ashley Quinto Powell. I own a virtual assistant agency, My VA Rocks, and I'm the author of Executive Motherhood, The Art of Having It All Without Doing It All. And my family is my wonderful husband, greatest husband of all time, the goat, Sean, and my two children, Jeffrey and Annabelle, and a delightful dog named Luna. Very nice. I hope your husband listens to this podcast. It's really lovely how you're thanking him. I must do this in public for my partner more often. I'm interested in what did you used to believe to be true about combining a big career with young children that you don't subscribe to? Well, I thought I would have to be away from my family quite a lot. I think that was probably the biggest thing. And I've sort of designed my life so that I can be with my children nearly all the time. And of course, they go to school. We're not homeschooling. They go to school, but I have so much time to spend with them. And as my career has progressed, I have been really conscious of how we set everything up from what my husband does to how we eat dinner so that everyone is enjoying a happy, healthy family. And and so I think that's it. That mostly it's the time. I am really ruthlessly focused on only doing the things that are truly important that only I can do. And then I delegate a lot of other things or I, or I automate them or I throw them out the window entirely because I want to be doing the things that I enjoy work-wise and family-wise. And sometimes that's not, well, that is never cleaning the house. It is always going on big adventures. And do you, just for those of us who do not own a virtual assistant agency, can you just briefly explain what that is and just on a day-to-day basis, what type of things you need to do so we can get a bit of a flavor of your life? Sure. Well, I used virtual assistants 
in my career, you know, I had a lot of driving. I had a very, very long commute. So I hired my first virtual assistant to read my emails to me as I was driving, and it made a huge difference. And then, frankly, pandemic parenting was so tough on me personally that I knew we were going to lose a lot of women from the workforce in particular. And, you know, the U.S. lost somewhere between three and five million women just in 2020 alone. And as part of my values, I want to keep working women in the workforce if that's where they want to be. So I saw it as an opportunity to provide a soft landing and to help on the other side, people who were now trying to juggle, you know, I didn't have a unique pandemic experience. We were all juggling 400 different things and trying to keep everyone's mental health afloat and provide 50 snacks a day. And it was not really that easy. So on both sides, I think we're helping sort of pros helping pros. But the regular stuff that we do, we check email and we manage calendars and we manage social media. We have a really great grants program, which is how we support nonprofits in the US. We do video editing and all sorts of stuff. But probably the core of the work we do is sort of admin work that you might have had an office admin do when we were all in an office. And you obviously run the agency and place people and so on. Uh, great. Thank you for explaining that. I used virtual assistant before and it really is incredibly helpful. So you also are an author as a side, small side project, as if you weren't busy enough. What made you write a book? Like what was, was a trigger moment to start writing a book? Well, I had been thinking about it for a long time. I'm really passionate about the ways that we treat mothers at work. You know, in the UK, I think the prospects are as dim as they are here for women with children. And it's really hard to go from being a ambitious person with an upward trajectory, ready to take over the world. And then all of a sudden, you're stopped in your tracks where people assume that you don't want to go further. Or they assume that you are no longer on you know, the same fast track. You're not as excited about promotions. I had my boss suggest to me when I was pregnant with my first that I just stay where I was and not go for any promotion until my youngest was in kindergarten, which would have been, you know, when my youngest turned six, felt like, well, that's nearly a decade to put my career on hold. And we certainly would never say that to a father. And so I'm passionate about the ways that we can keep women in the workforce and and how that protects our executive pipelines. I think that that's really important. I think we need women in the room and in the boardroom and in the design rooms. So I'm passionate about that. And I like writing and it had always been sort of on my bucket list. But you know, I'm a sales expert. And one of my roles as a salesperson is you don't build anything until it has a buyer. So, you know, when we're thinking about programs and we're thinking about all of the things that we could create. I often suggest don't create anything until you have someone who says, yeah, I would be a customer and I would be a customer so much that I want to be your first one. Here's my money. And frankly, I do speaking engagements with an insurance company here in the States and they bought the first hundred copies of the book before I had written it. And so that was a pretty good, you know, nothing quite gets you, nothing quite, you know, pokes you in the butt to like someone who has purchased copies of a book that doesn't exist. So I had a, had a year. I'm very, very, very intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a funny story. And I think you definitely deserve the label sales expert if you managed to sell a book that did not exist <laughs> to an insurance company, uh, no, no less. What are you hoping to change with 
with the book, do you think? What, what's the big dream? First of all, our expectations of ourselves need to change. I think we expect ourselves to be able to do absolutely everything, pack it all in, have all of the commitments, have be the snack mom, be the volunteering in the school, and also sitting on the board and also be up for promotions and also managing our career and also managing our homes. You know, we expect that of us. Others expect that of us. And it's not possible. So instead, I worry that we lessen our contribution and that doesn't serve the world. I really, you know, the way that I feel about the work that I do is the world needs me to do it. The world needs me to lead. The world needs me to create. And also it's where I find joy and vitality and my children really benefit when their mother is firing on all cylinders and excited about things and creating things, you know, that's, and let's not underestimate how powerful it is to, you know, pay for a house and provide, you know, all of that stuff is really, really important. And I think we deserve also the chance to continue moving forward in our careers if that's what we want to do. And I hope that that means our future CEOs and our future politicians are women who have been able to be vital through sort of these critical years. Because, you know, it's sort of unfortunate that exactly as your career is getting going and you're developing a specialty and you're getting really good at what you do, you feel like, all right, I'm finally stable enough in my life to plant roots and have children, get married, you know, in whatever order. And if when you're planning all of that, you're assuming that your career is going to continue chugging right along, but it doesn't. And we get all of these cues from outside that say, well, you probably don't want this, do you? Well, it takes a lot to say, yes, wait a minute, I absolutely do. So we need to help women stay on that track if we can, because it's exactly when folks are moving from sort of junior level into the senior level roles that they'll occupy, that they'll bring, you know, that they'll, that start bringing in, you know, real serious income when they start developing their expertise. And it is not okay for the world. It is not okay to send those folks home and sort of stop the life of their career because they decided to have a baby, which also that is in your heart. You should be able to do that. It is the most wonderful, joyous. I mean, right. Parents are sometimes really bad at explaining how, why we do this, but right. It's like, it's so wonderful. Your face practically explodes. It's so great to be a parent. And you know, on the other side, of course, sometimes it's not perfect, but it is mostly it's like the, this is how we leave a legacy. And I think everyone deserves the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. One tension I'm coming across quite often is that some of the working parents listening to this or that we support with our programs seem to have this tension of they know to an extent, they really are ambitious. They want to progress their career, but they know they need to sell themselves to do so. And at the same time, they have to do that whilst sometimes, not everybody does feel so, but sometimes you feel a loss of confidence if you've just come back from a very long UK-style nine months, one-year maternity leave. As a super salesperson who can sell a book without even... I cannot get, get out of this. It's so amazing. You sell a book that doesn't exist. How do you have the confidence to sell yourself when inside you feel a bit rubbish? 
Sure. Well, you know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. And actually, in my book, one of the things that I talk about is how we should be completely done with imposter syndrome, because it's such a natural reaction to being told our whole lives that we're not good enough, that we haven't done enough. And then when we believe it, now it is a syndrome that is, again, our fault and should be, you know, fixed. It is something that needs to be fixed about us. So I think that it is really insidious. And I wish that we didn't have to deal with it. However, I had a conversation with someone once where I said, oh, this, you know, the same thing. This is why we're not doing imposter syndrome anymore. We're getting rid of it. We're just ignoring it entirely. It doesn't exist. But here's why I'm a real fraud. So it comes up for everyone, no matter who you are. But I think there are examples of people who are confident without any reason. And most of the women that I know are incredibly talented. And they have the right to be very confident about their skills. So often I will remind them to think about the blowhards on their team, you know, the guys who talk about how great they are, but don't actually produce. They're the ones in there talking about how amazing they are and they don't have anything to back it up. So if you have something to back it up, you better get in there too. And no matter how nervous it makes you, do a little bit of boasting. And I think sometimes, you know, my new favorite thing is that I find Arnold Schwarzenegger very, very inspiring because, well, listen, Rita, think about it. He started as a young boy in Austria and he thought to himself, well, you know what I would like to do? Become Mr. Universe. And then having no evidence that that would ever happen for him, he did it on confidence alone. He worked really hard and he did it. And then he thought to himself, you know what I would like to be? An American movie star, despite not, it's not his first language. He's not even a great actor. And he, on confidence alone, right? No, there's nothing to suggest that Mr. Universe would make a great actor or that Arnold would make a great actor. Nothing. On confidence alone, he succeeded. He made it to the top, right? He's a top actor. And then he decided, well, I would really like to be involved in government, despite no evidence that Mr. Universe turned actor would be terrific at governing the fourth largest economy in the world. You know, the governor of California is over the fourth largest economy in the world. Well, I know it's pretty bonkers, but along the line, there has never been anything obvious. And there had to have been people in his life who thought, but why you made it? You don't need to go into yet another industry. And he did on confidence alone. So imagine And this is a man who does not have talent particularly, right? He's, I mean, he doesn't, especially as an actor, he is not a great actor. You know what? I like him a lot, but he's not a great actor. And on confidence alone, he made it to the top of three, arguably four industries. And so imagine, Brina, what you can do with actual talent, with actual talent. That's where we are, that there is someone whose confidence is taking them to the absolute top of everywhere they want to be in four different industries. We can borrow some of that self-confidence, at least get to where we deserve to be in our own lives. Very well said. I really agree with you on this. For a long time, people pushed me to include imposter syndrome and, you know, for example, have a podcast on imposter syndrome. And I was always a bit, oh, I just didn't like it. And I think you're putting exactly the words into it. There's nothing wrong with us. It's just a normal thing. And it's also, it comes out of the society of the expectations that, you know, you do get a lot of messages about what you can and can't do. And you do just need to do it anyways and ignore it to an extent, I think. And you can be called out by it so badly. I was telling to a group of fellows the other day. So I th- I was asked by my sister for whether I still had a the imposter syndrome. And I said very confidently, no, I didn't. And then <laughs> I tried something completely different. And I, I just changed something in my usual routine. I had a speech in the event of 
in the House of Commons, which is the UK government building. Yes, which I've done before and I wasn't too nervous about, but I've just changed something. You know, I've rather than putting keywords, I've actually written down the speech because someone told me that was a good thing to do. And so I felt extremely nervous because I thought I just can't do it. I can't deliver it in a convincing way. And I can't describe the rationality behind it. There was no rationality, but the fear and dread just because of that small change was absolutely crazy. And I actually rang my mom who told me it was going to be okay. <laughs> I'm 40. Oh, oh, three cheers for mom. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyways, and then, guess what? It was totally fine. It was absolutely fine. But it was just such a fun enough. It was about a few weeks after I told my, my sister I never have the imposter syndrome anymore. So I think it just can hit any of us, can't it? In the most beautiful way and unexpected ways. So in your book, do you have any advice on selling your experience as a working parent, and I'm a bit torn myself in this, should you talk about your experience as a parent in job interviews? And if yes, how? Great question. I think, you know, there are two sides of this coin. As with a lot of advice, there's sort of the advice that I would give us if we were living in a perfect world and everything were right and just, which is, yes, you should talk about the ways that being a working parent makes you a better manager, for instance. We know this. We also know that statistically, the most efficient workers are moms with two children. They are the most efficient at work. They get the most done. And any mom of two can tell you why, because at any given time, you know, their whole life is about spinning every plate in the air and getting everything done in record time and you know, being the one who can find things and write things and heal things. And it really does make us better managers. And so in a perfect world, I think we would talk about that really openly and honestly. I'm not sure in the world we are in, that's the best advice to give. And unfortunately, you know, we had Hillary Clinton here suggest that several years ago that women not put pictures of their kids up at their desk because it diminishes our voice of authority at work. Well, I'm not sure that I'm willing to take out the pictures of my kids from my office, but it is advice that is realistic and practical and awfully unfortunate. So I think the best advice that I have is to feel out the situation and dig deep into the values of the companies that you're interviewing with. You know, the company that I run is very, very open and supportive of work-life balance and having parents who put their children first. And that that is what we want you to do. We have one value that is we're not curing cancer. There's nothing that we're doing that is so important that it should come before your family. And then the other one is we like you a lot, but we're not your family. You have your own family and you should take care of them. You know, really, it creates such a welcoming environment for parents. And we see this in companies that are being smart about how they recruit really a mid-level and senior level talent that they are tapping into this resource of parents who are just coming back and can bring all of this incredible knowledge that they've built through their career. But now maybe they need something part-time or they need some flexibility or they need to work from home, whatever it is. Being able to tap into that, I think, is the secret to success for many, many companies. So anyway, the long story shorter is to dig deeply into the values of the company and be very careful about what you say. And there are absolutely companies out there who are keen to hear this. A few months ago, I was approached by someone from Fraser Nash and someone working in HR. And they asked me whether I had any resources they could share with potential applicants about how to promote their experience 
of looking after children at home at in a job interview and I just thought that was such an amazing thing and the most amazing thing is that's from an engineering organization so engineering is obviously has a is, you know percentage-wise a lot of males who also want to work looking after children but still it's not the most forward-thinking sector in general so I think if that sort of organization can do that and is wanting to hear wants to ha- hear from their applicants about how they're getting the working parents supported sorry what, what their experience was with looking after children then I think there's definitely hope for us all. Absolutely. So I'm interested in kind of the humility aspect. Now, there's obviously a culture dynamic in there. And I'm from Switzerland, so you should definitely keep yourself as low as possible. And I always feel bad when I'm asked to do self-promotion. How has your own relationship with the tension between self-promotion and humility evolved? I'm probably at the end of the spectrum where there is a cheerleader and someone who is willing to cheer on themselves and others. But I certainly understand how difficult it is, both culturally and because of, you know, everything that anyone has been told about, well, you know, nobody wants you to be too loud or too much, or, you know, people will be offended by your bravado, for instance. And I think actually that's good advice socially, but it is bad business advice because you're sacrificing real money for that. And I used to joke that, you know, one of the reasons that people tend not to negotiate when they're coming into a job is they don't want to be viewed as someone who's not a team player. Well, I want you to view me as a team player, but I won't pay you $10,000 so you think of me as a team player. I actually want the money instead. So, you know, we'll make that exchange. You can think whatever you want about me for $10,000. And sort of digging deeper and acknowledging those trade-offs that when we opt for humility and when we opt for being shy about our accomplishments in a workplace setting, we are making that direct exchange. And I don't think people realize that. When you think about it like that, you get some bravery around, all right, well, actually, I met all of my goals. I've met all my goals for the last year and a half. I'm the best person on this team. You can think that I need to eat a piece of humble pie. That's fine. But that humble pie will come after you pay me the big bucks. So let's talk about that first. Absolutely. And there is more important stuff than money in the world. Of course there is. But there is a real problem because we know that in the UK, the gender pay gap is still around 14, 15%, which is rubbish. It means from November onwards, you're working pretty much for free if you're a woman. And what is particularly annoying is that per part-time workers in the UK per hour are paid less than full-time workers. So if you compare part-time communications director versus a full-time communications director, that full-time communications director on average will be paid a lot more. So that's rubbish. That is rubbish. And sadly, I don't think the stats are much better for the US, are they? So is there something you looked at in your book about how you... When you negotiate, how you take the fact that you're asking for lower hours, but at the same time, you don't take that pay cut that comes with it, especially if the pay cut is hidden and you don't know it's happening. Mm -hmm. That is a really good point. I think there are some ways to avoid that game entirely. One is independent consulting. 
The other is to negotiate based on outcomes. So instead of being paid for, here's how many hours I show up in the office, it is here's how much I, you know, and salespeople are really familiar with this because that's essentially how commission works. And commission, of course, is a trap because when they say they want you to be hungry, that means they just don't want to pay you. And when you have hit your quota on half the time that it took the person next to you, often they'll say, well, now you can work more and you can double that quota. And of course, that's probably not in our goals, right? We were so efficient and we did it in the time. And But I think on the negotiating front, I would go with those two options, but especially the outcomes-based work. In the US, you can sort of apply for a job or you can talk to people about a job and then sneak into the interview process. And senior level positions almost always happen the lat in the latter scenario. And you can get so much more accomplished if you can talk, you can change industries, you can make a lateral move and then prepare to move up in another organization. There's lots that you can do when someone knows you and they trust that you're going to do an amazing job when you come in. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen in a traditional, I'm going to apply, I'm going to send my resume to someone who does not know me. They're going to interview me or they're going to get to know me and then and then they will hire me. There's so much less trust in that scenario than having someone who knows your work from another place or knows your reputation. So I think as we get more creative with how we build our careers and how we build our income, focusing on sort of those networking connections will be really, really important. And of course, having coaches and people around you who encourage you to ask for more and to really understand your value and what you should be asking for, you know, all of that stuff is really, really important too. Yeah. I was really surprised when we, so we run this fellowship program and we have people who are from different sectors and they go through a nine months or six months program to support them to combine big careers with young children. And we saw quite a lot of them having a pay rise, even though we don't talk about pay. We ask experts like you to talk about pay. We don't do it in the program. And I think that's exactly it. It happens because there's this cheerleading effect. And sometimes you just need someone in your corner, isn't it? Saying, well, actually, yes, you deserve this because it's on your own. It's too tough, I think. So, yeah, interesting. And you mentioned about this visibility and being seen as someone trustworthy, which is easy if you've worked with your boss for 10 years and they know you're great. But if you are at the periphery of an organization, your working mother, you can't attend all these evening swanky events, but you still want to be seen as someone who delivers, what are your top two or three things that you've seen work in order to sell your brand or your experience and to be remembered when it comes to the time of job interviews? Well, you know, that time spent after work at the, you know, sometimes it's at the bar with the boss. That is really important. And to your point, you can't often get there if you are running to pick up children from daycare or school and then and then headed home to feed what feels like an army of teenagers, for instance. But it is really important because those are the sorts of things that will get your career forward. And so I would focus on having lunch with interesting people in the organization that you can talk to and get to know. You can certainly do coffee by Zoom. There are often opportunities in the Slack channel. And unfortunately, it tends to be in most companies incumbent on the remote worker to make sure that no one forgets about them. You know, it takes a lot of systems in place and a lot of people thinking very purposely about it to be in person with a small percentage 
that is remote and to keep the remote ones involved. So unfortunately, that does fall often to the remote worker, although I think eventually people will be more cautious and more inclusive there. But it's those, you know, it's the interactions that would recreate being in an office, being around a water cooler, bumping into someone in the hallway. And so I think being very, very participatory in a Slack or a Teams or a a hip chat, you know, whatever system for asynchronous communication, I think it's a good opportunity to hop in. But then also offering to have coffee with your coworkers just as a social, like, let's get to know you. I've also seen coworkers just turn on a Zoom in order to work with a buddy. I think that's really important too. And focusing on really a lot of communication as a remote worker is really, really critical. I agree. So again, I might be tell me if this doesn't work because of the cultural difference between the US and Europe. But I mean, how do you practically tell people what you're good at? I guess I'm now thinking, why am I even asking the question? But I think it's because I have such a sense of I don't like promoting myself. So how do you tell people that you're good at something without, or is that just in an American context that that question is completely irrelevant and you're definitely allowed to promote as much as you like? No, I think it's very relevant. Everyone has trouble sort of list. I mean, no one wants to give a presentation about what their skills are. But I think, you know, often what we'll do is we'll we'll ask for advice. It's a trick. Salespeople use it, but I think it's a good mechanism for being perceived as very humble while still making a point. And so in this case, you know, let's take the instance of someone wants to delve into higher visibility projects or wants to delve into sort of a skill set that people do not realize that they have. I would, if it were me, have Zoom coffees and virtual lunches and maybe morning meetings with as many people as I could. And I would say, I would ask questions like, hey, let me pick your brain on something. I saw that there's a project doing XYZ. I've actually been really interested in getting more into that. And as it turns out, I have side projects that have had great success in similar areas. And what would you suggest if I want to hop on the team next time? And in that way, you're sort of building allies because the most important thing really is to have people who will mention you in a room without you there. And if you can build that, you really have it made. And then, of course, the responsibility is when you get into the room, you have to mention other people that are not there. Exactly. I agree. And can't take that responsibility seriously enough. We're coming towards the end of our conversation, very sadly. And I wanted to ask you to just to summarize one, two, maybe even three practical things that you can do to sell your achievements in a virtual environment. So you're not in a room, you're not in a Zoom, but you're just using the social media landscape, the Slack, etc. What could you practically do this week to make sure somebody finds out about your achievements? Well, you can enlist the help of a buddy and have them post it for you. That's probably the easiest thing. And I know everyone has a friend who is willing to support them in that way. And I think that's probably the easiest lift in terms of, all right, we're going to do something this week. Get your buddy to say, hey, my dear friend Cynthia has gotten a promotion and I am so happy for her. Put it on social media, put it on LinkedIn. I think that that's a perfect, perfect place to start. 
The next one is, you know, I actually, I had a client engagement where the problem that I was trying to solve for is that they had very, very talented, award-winning writers who would get on with potential clients and say, hi, I'm Bob, and never mention that they had won prizes, never mention that they had worked for big names, never, you know, just they're Bob. So what we came up with them for to do was put a bio in the invite so that they did not have to introduce themselves, but everyone who was going to be in attendance had a a five-sentence bio that described, you know, I've been in journalism for 15 years, I won a Pulitzer, I wrote for the New York Times, whatever it was, sort of the brief, here's who I am, but that everyone contributed their bio. And, you know, when I have my virtual assistants write their bio, often they are very, very humble. And so we push them to include all of the things that are wonderful about them. And sometimes having that conversation too, I think people don't realize how to phrase it or how to talk about it. And so having a conversation with someone who's very trusted around, well, how would I even go about phrasing the things that I am passionate about that make me so valuable at work? And I would bet that there are a lot of great insights that your closest friends have about you that you probably would not think to mention yourself. That is excellent advice. Thank you so much, Ashley. If people want to find out more about your book, about you, where should they go? We can find my book, Executive Motherhood, The Art of Having It All Without Doing It All, on Amazon and major retailers. And my virtual assistant firm is My VA Rocks. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with your listeners there. I'm Ashley Quinto Powell. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much for listening today. If you haven't yet joined any of our free events or fellowship program communities, then do consider signing up to our monthly newsletter, where you'll be the first to know when spaces become available. Details on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletters. We also send out a monthly bulletin of top tips um, and fresh insights, new ideas for working parents with ambitious career dreams. At the moment, we have some free events on the website and we have one program left for 2023 for people working in the NHS and one program left for people working in all other sectors. But if you are in the NHS, you only have until 11th July to get your application in. If you work in another sector, you've got a bit more time. You can keep an eye out for applications opening in September. If you do join the fellowship community, you'll join a group of, in my view, really amazing parents who are also very, very passionate about their career. Many of them are podcast listeners. So shout out if you are listening um, and they usually are, well, they're always people who really are passionate about their career. They want to progress. They want to make a difference, but also be present with their kids unapologetically. And the program has been designed by me to enable you to be, I guess, in the driving seat of creating that career um, progression that you want, that I want so that we get more equality um, and also to help you create the family life that you want to give you the courage and tools to do that and um, progress your career while also protecting what's important to you through setting boundaries. 60% of the cohort who completed it last time round said they had got promoted or got more senior responsibility, for example, a board role during the course of the program, which makes me very happy because that's exactly what we need to do to get more equality 
in the senior leadership tables. And obviously many of them did really well because they did the program with babies on their lap. You can do it anytime between have, being pregnant or having a child up to the age of about 11. We even have one person who mentioned the word life-changing in the evaluation, which made my heart jump with joy and, and made me very happy. Any questions on the fellowship programs, just email me or my team. My email address is ferina at leadersplus.org.uk. And I just want to give a shout out to Sam W., who I think I know who you are, but I'm not 100% sure. So, so Sam, I want to, t- to say thank you for being the most recent person to leave a review. Podcasts are incredibly male dominated. Apparently, four in five of the podcast hosts of the top charting podcast are men. But reviews really help to grow the reach of the podcast, to grow the listener base. Also sharing the podcast really helps. And so if you also think it would be quite good if the message in this podcast would reach more people about the fact that we should be able to progress our careers with young kids in tow. And if you think that we should have more female voices in the podcast, which is one of the fastest growing mediums right now worldwide, then you can do a simple thing of just sharing this episode with two or three friends and leaving a review. Thanks again, Sam, for your lovely comments. And thanks to you all for listening and your support. And it would be really nice to see some of you soon at our free events. And I'm sure I'll see the fellows who are listening at our events very soon. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Bye.